Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it is no different. I have Mr. Ron Lee from EA Sport. Ron, welcome to the show, buddy. How you going? How you doing? How you going, mate? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my uh, utmost pleasure, buddy. Um, Ron, before we get into the nitty gritty, take me back in time. Who were you as a young man at school? It's a really great question. I was sports obsessed. I had a chip on my shoulder because puberty did not make me as big as everyone else. For those reasons, I dove straight into contact sports like rugby and hockey. Um, But young me uh, always knew he liked sports. Young me moved around from Hong Kong to Germany to Singapore and then to Canada. And uh, sports helped me settle in everywhere. And so beyond loving the competition and and the athleticism, um, it also helped me settle in. So I was always captivated by its impact on popular culture how it swayed communities, how it could um, bring community sentiment up and down. And so I always thought I wanted something in it. But interestingly enough, as you reconcile it with what I do now, uh, young me also played video games professionally for a little while. Uh, So he was a weird guy. Um, Both traditional sports dude, but also kind of like a geek. Wow, there you go. Uh, So right now, you you put the best of both both worlds. Esports is flying, gaming is flying. And sporting is just about the only thing that's, that's a sport is the only thing that's keeping people sane. So interesting. Um, let, let, let's go through your journey. You've moved around a bit. You've had a bit of an adventure. Take me through those early years, uh, you know, getting into college. How'd you get into college? Which college did, did you attend? Yeah. Uh, so I got my undergraduate degree from the University of British Columbia. I majored in economics. Um, and to be quite frank, as it related to my journey at that point, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing with my career. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I'll be, I'll be frank. I picked economics because I was always very quant savvy. I loved economics just as a study. Um, but at no point in my life did I ever thought, think, uh, I should be an economist. Um, and so, you know, chalk that up to an 18 year old making decisions. Um, and then, you know, I had a couple of things that I did after I finished my undergrad, spent a little bit of time in nonprofit consulting with my fraternity, but where I really aligned um, towards setting myself on, on a path to work in sports business was uh, when I pursued uh, my MBA at the University of Oregon's Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Wow. And, and how, how was that experience? Amazing. Um, I mean, for me, the decision wasn't which sports program, actually, because I know those are, you know, if you look at the landscapes of sports-focused education programs at the undergraduate or graduate degree, they're starting to sprout out all around the world, probably led mostly by the U.S. due to just the the, the sheer scale of the sports industry here. But um, it was amazing. For me, it was either going to that or going to a very traditional um, top 20 program that would have put me out on a Wall Street. Um, And so it was a very drastically different decision. And that had both implications on earnings potential, job satisfaction, life satisfaction. I considered all of that. 
And uh, so I decided eventually to go to Oregon and it was fantastic. You know, I mean, my in-class experience was, uh, I was taught by some of the most incredible professors in the industry, both in and out of sports. Um, but because of the programs, you know, uh, relatively speaking across a lot of graduate sports focused programs around the United States, it's a little bit more, it's one of the more entrenched ones. And so because of that, I, I, I was very fortunate to build a really good network with whether it was friends of the program, alumni, got a lot of chance to sort of flex that the, um, the education of learning as I was doing it. So it was like I was constantly interning with all the consulting projects I was doing. So I can't say enough good things about the program. And uh, I, I treasured my experience there. Very nice. Um, how, how was life post the um, MBA? It was um, like it was, did it make a huge difference to your life? The way people perceived you in the job market, you know, did it, it did, like was it that significant change that you feel you needed? Um, yes, but I will also caveat that and say it wasn't because of that. You know, I don't ever see. Um, an education or, a, you know, a degree as, as sort of like the ticket into something. It's okay. probably like your baggage tag, but it's, um, you know, I, I think the real thing that kind of helped me get in was a combination of that education to know that, you know, so that I could convey that I had the savvy to understand what was important in the sports industry and also that I had good business acumen period. But what really did it, and I'm sure, you know, it's very similar to a lot of, uh, industries where, where where job supply is low and demand is typically high. You see it in entertainment, music, film, etc. cetera. Uh, and sports is one of those. And so it was just a lot of grinding, a, a lot of rolling up my sleeves, working my butt off, trying to meet the right people, learn from their experiences and try to do the best for myself. And I will also totally caveat that there's an element of luck to it. You know, you just got to get yourself enough at bats. And, and when you get your moment, you hope that everything else behind that you've done to prepare for it, it helps you be prepared to capitalize. So basically, the hard work helps you create your own luck and puts you in positions to sort of get these sort of opportunities like yourself, the PGA Tour, EA, so on, so on. That's right, yeah. Take me through your time at the PGA Tour, you know, like what, what, what led to that? I mean, you went from, uh, you've previously worked at Nike, you had your, your own gig in design, um, had, why the PGA? It's a really good question because you know something funny? I didn't really golf that much until I got yeah. there. When you grow up in Canada, the golf season is like two months, maybe three if you're crazy out of the year, right? And so it's a really good question. And honestly, um, it, was, it, it was the business challenge. And actually that has also sort of repurposed itself or come up again as to why I ended up at EA. But at that point in time, when I was joining the tour, I, I joined a brand new team, I think as employee number four, um, called the International Affairs Team. And its charge was to turn the PGA Tour into the world's golf tour, not just the world's top golf tour that happens to be American. And so it was a slight distinction, but it wanted to become proactive and growing overseas. So this involved opening up overseas offices. This involved really take, getting to the driver's seat of our international business. And so um, I salivated at that opportunity because A, of my upbringing, but also B, in a sports industry that generally speaking is mature in a lot of ways, um, especially if you're talking about the league side, competition side, you rarely get opportunities to build something and so that's what brought me there well no that's what made me say yes to the opportunity 
what gave me the chance to say yes or no, honestly, again, going back to my last point, is just through the network that I had worked so hard to build uh, throughout school. Um, I had a former colleague, uh, sorry, not a former colleague, but somebody that I had met through the University of Oregon's program, who also happened to be um, a fraternity brother that I had met in the past, used to intern there. He actually wasn't even working there at that point, but um, I asked him for about a couple of contacts around this international business analyst role that I saw. And I probably send the most poignant borderline too assertive message to the vice president of, of human resources there and told her, hey, look, listen, I saw this job. Here's why I think this, I'm right for it. No pleasantries. Well, some. I'm Canadian after all. But um, and it was very straightforward. And, and it's so funny how of all of my job search after school, it was probably the most straightforward, blunt, upfront way I've presented myself. And that's the one that ended up converting into what I where I would end up spending the next about five years of my life. Wow. What was the experience like with the PGA? Uh, culture, um, innovation, room for growth. Was it, it was there? Do they move quickly? Do they move slowly? What's, you know, is it non nonchalant uh, sort of culture or is it high pace? Because, you know, everyone thinks golf's a bit of a slow world, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was incredible. I mean, the short answer to that is I loved working at the PGA Tour. It is a bar none, um, incredible workplace. Uh, they, 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 it really, I articulate it this way. Every day I went into work, sure, it was work and I worked my butt off because sports is, is you know, everyone is passionate because of the industry. And then especially when you get into sort of like more participation driven, um, you know, sports that scale wise aren't as large, but have a very passionate following like golf, you're going to tend to attract people who just want to kind of roll up their sleeves and give it their all. But even despite all that, every day I walked in the office, I always described it as just like going into like a second house with my family to work. They really cultivated that sentiment. And um, I really loved it for that reason, because uh, I felt like personally, I could be myself, but also professionally, I could also be that sort of like type A personality that I frankly admit that I am. Um, I think where it, it not was difficult or bad, but where, where you can sometimes be limited um, in working in golf is that golf as a sport is, um, I would argue of all the major sports worldwide, probably one of the more convoluted ones and convoluted. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of different regulatory bodies and authorities on it. You know, like for example, with basketball, um, NBA is about as synonymous with the sport as it gets. Uh, you know, you've got, I mean, you've got the CBA, you've got Eurobasket, and you've got the Euroleague in there, but you know, that connection between the two is huge as is, as it is sort of with, I mean, American football is a very select sample to use, but again, very synonymous. Whereas with golf, if you want to ask somebody what property was most emblematic of golf, you get a variety of answers. Odds are it's going to be one of the open or the masters who are run by different organizations. It might be the PGA tour. It's, it's, it's still sort of a little cloudy. And for those reasons, um, for golf to sort of advance as a sport in a lot of ways to try to do new things, you're dealing with all sorts of different organizations with different motivations and agendas, not in a bad way, but when you try to get that many people to make a collective decision, it can be tough especially when in addition to all that, you're also facing a lot of traditionalism, you know, that kind of stuff that comes up in golf a lot. Um, but yeah. that's not to say golf can't do it. I mean, I would say the best example of, of golf as an industry being able to rally around and make 
a milestone moment happen would have been it's a readmittance back into the Olympic Games. So it can happen, but that it's just for those reasons and the dynamic of golf, things happen differently. Wow, interesting. So how do you get from the world of golf to the world of gaming, EA? <laughs> And that's well, like that's literally from one end of the spectrum to to the other. You go from a, yeah. Sort of it's a, really funny you say that because I mean I I'm I spent I spent most of my time working in sponsorship at the tour, um, and so when you're working in marketing and we're talking about marketing platforms, you talk about audiences, right? And from that perspective, man, I don't think you can get any more polar opposites with the audience. Um, absolutely, man. Like it's different worlds. Yeah, and I would argue that. Um, first that golf was actually probably more of the detour for me. I, I don't want to position as a detour because I think who I am as a professional and my capabilities, I credit virtually all to the PGA tour, but, um, I had always been a, a gamer growing up. I still video, play video games personally, frequently. I, I, um, and so the opportunity when it came up to come join EA was, was, um, it's too too good to ignore. And by the way, I didn't go out looking for it. It was just one of those cases where um, an opportunity, you know, an opportunity crossed my eye, and uh, and I and it wasn't. And actually, my decision making process was kind of like it was at the PGA Tour. It wasn't that wow, like look at the PGA Tour, what a brand! I have to do this. It was just whoa, look at this challenge. And so there's actually a lot of similarities. Um, a lot of people think EA, market leader in the gaming industry, uh, the house must be totally in order on the esports side. Actually, EA's esports business is only about a little four years-ish old. Um, so really, the, the label of being a startup in, in, a, in a big organization is super accurate for us. And again, just like at the PGA Tour, like how can I turn down this challenge to, have, to work at a place where we have, we have this awesome team who collectively, basically, we have the attitude of a challenger brand. But at the same time, we have the resources of a market leader to back us up. Um, you get to work with leading worldwide titles. We get the span of everything from traditional esports to simulated sports. Um, it was, again, the business challenge. It was something I would not have turned down, even if it was in or out of gaming. It just so happens that gaming has, has, has really seen an acceleration lately in terms of its prominence. But um, the gaming thing, honestly, was secondary. The business challenge was something I couldn't turn down. And because it's gaming... Um, I'm also able to really uh, satisfy my 15-year-old self, who is probably super stoked at what I guess adult Ron is doing. Wow! So the the PGA job, you were as blunt as possible. Like you know, you were just out there. That's that's how you got the job. What'd you do at, at EA Sport? <laughs> uh, this one was uh, this one actually came through uh, a recruiter who was kicking the tires with me on something. And, um, and so this one was, I guess, if I'm just going to give you the short answer, Ahmad, it was, it was just a lot more straightforward. It was, hey, you've got some really great experience. Um, what do you think of gaming? And I was like, funny you mentioned that. My life. So, <laughs> so I think that sort of um, bootstrappy attitude that I had, not that I still don't because I work for a startup ish like i mean i do work on a team that functions like a startup so that very bootstrappy attitude is still very much there for me but the opportunity to come to ea was not um something that i had planned whereas when i was going to the tour i was very much sort of in that mode of okay i'm hunting i'm hunting i have to know how to present myself uh so it was just um yeah that was really the major difference you've proven yourself basically i wouldn't say so but i think i'd proven myself enough uh, you've proven yourself <laughs> thanks man I'll, I'll, I'll eat the, um, 
the humble pie on your behalf. So it's all good. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, gaming is absolutely flying. Uh, you got athletes now in these hubs. They're playing sport, and then after their training, they they got the whole gaming kits. They're taking with them everywhere. What the hell is going on? You're probably seeing engagement numbers that you've never seen before. You're seeing platforms like Twitch and all these other different platforms killing yes. us. Where, 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 where are we going? What's your, what's your, what's your insight? What, what can I tell my audience? <laughs> like, how can they win in this, in this world that's still pretty, pretty early? Man, that is a great question. I love that you asked it that way. Let me first by start say, stating this point. I think people who are not, who don't spend a lot of time in the gaming industry or even maybe just personally out of interest in gaming may not know this, but gaming for a long time was already growing. Some of these numbers that you see now about, you know, like, let me, let me bring up like probably the most recent clickbaity title that many of us have seen. Uh, have you seen, you know, this League of Legends event got more viewers than the Super Bowl? You know, you occasionally yeah. will hear blips and blurbs like that coming from the esports world before the pandemic happened. But I mean, esports has been on the rise period as parts you know yeah and i would say actually um i would lump that in almost to gaming you know esports is always gaming but gaming isn't always necessarily esports esports typically just represents the most hardcore segment of gaming and so gaming just i think as a lifestyle um has been growing for a long time you know and, and i think part of it is due to demographic changes so you know people like you and i we grew up playing video games when we were young um and at that point in time maybe it was stigmatized as like a weird get back in the closet you nerd kind of thing but you know that dem demographic are now becoming parents they're they have disposable income but yet at the same time they still see gaming as a pastime hobby and for some even a profession and so I think for that reason, gaming itself is, is becoming more mainstream, period. I mean, today, the gaming industry is larger than the movie and music industries combined in the U.S. Wow. And so you're really starting to see that. And so kind of with that effect comes esports. And so now I think uh, esports is in this really interesting place where I think what the pandemic has done is it's accelerated it. Um, so I think we'll look back in five, 10 years now and see this as the point, not when esports became a thing, but when esports mainstreamification was seriously accelerated um but it's amazing you know we I, I don't even know how to begin to contextualize and think about it but you know we think of esports as just the most hardcore of competition but then you know game because of the rise of gaming we're seeing prominent celebrities athletes um kind of develop careers on their own like for example i think devin booker is a really good example of this the guy is an incredible basketball player but he's also really good at call of duty and so we're, we're starting to see them find second careers, find ways to use gaming as a way to broaden their platform. And so I think that's how I would generally answer your question, like of what do we do about it? And when I say we, I mean, this could be any marketing exec, whether it be on the brand or sports side. And I think what people need to detach from as well is that, let's say, for example, just because you work in the NHL or you work in the NFL. Sure, the, the, the NHL and the, and the Madden games are really great ways to grow your platform, too. But that's also a bit myopic in a lot of ways. You have to see gaming just as a platform because your game in some ways limits to you to that audience. Like say if you go to, like so for example, we know that Madden players have a high football affinity. That should surprise nobody. It's become a new way for young fans to get into football in the same way that fantasy has. But um, 
it's all you're also only looking in a way at fans who were probably predisposed to be football fans in general. So if you're talking about that and as a sports league or even as a marketer, I think the challenge that you should take upon yourself if you want to use gaming as a platform is to look at it as gaming, not one type of game, not one specific game, and just understand that a basketball player like Devin Booker arguably has a way more powerful platform on gaming rather than just basketball games. And that's a weird, simple thing to shake people out of, but to really understand it as a broad industry and how to work within it and to understand that it is so diverse and not just limited by genres or whatever. Uh, I think the real peak happened when everything turned online, cloud basically. Correct. Um, and you can play this guy, that guy all, all over the world. The world became connected. I mean, it, it was absolutely amazing. I remember playing Halo back at back at back in my days and FIFA. And when we found that you can play people overseas and so on, it's like, whoa, it's on. So it's, it's impossible to, to get kids off because now it's endless, endless competition and, and, and entertainment. So I think that, that was really that switch. Yeah, it's, it's, it will be very interesting to see um, what happens now. I mean, even I would say that question ho would hold even outside of a global pandemic. You know, gaming was always on the rise. We're seeing yeah. gaming become more accessible to everybody through cloud gaming now, mobile gaming especially, and that's particularly relevant to in developing countries. And so uh, I think it's, it's a fun time to be in gaming. And uh, that's why usually when I talk about my work, I have a pretty dumb grin on my face. Where's the future going? For EA, esports, myself? Gaming, esports. <clears throat> um, my personal opinion, I think we will very much live in a world where gaming is seen as just an un a very viable form of entertainment akin to when you come home, turn on Netflix, that level. It will be seen as that. You could argue in a lot of ways among the more core audience, it's already there. But I think that sort of mainstreamification will continue. Now, I'm not telling you that basketball players are going to start quitting basketball to pursue full-on careers in streaming or playing games, but I do think it will just become a much more substantial part of the entertainment fabric. And where it really has a lot of extra unique differentiators, you've already touched on, um, gaming is incredibly global. Uh, much more so than most traditional sports. I mean, football sits in its own sort of realm, but really, if you think about it, a lot of other sports follow certain regions. Basketball's finally cracked that, but you know, you've talked about the AFL a little bit earlier. That, again, is regionalized, but at the same time, gaming for the most part, no. So I think um, the effect that we're seeing is worldwide. It is, still, it is going to keep on growing. Um, I'm not saying it's going to take over the world, but I really think it'll become a very much a, an everyday part of our lives. I'll say it on your behalf. It's definitely going to take over the world. It is insane how much these kids love to sit there and watch people game, let alone game, game themselves. It's yeah. yeah. The one thing I will say is that gaming has to manage its growth too. You know, it's, we kind of, um, I think thanks in part to, to better communication infrastructure, media infrastructure, we have a tendency and like the way people consume news, we tend to want to take a narrative and run with it. And then, you know, through that bad game of telephone, it can, things can get out of control. And so earlier I talked a little bit about, um, you know, you uh, at any given time, probably over the past year, you've probably seen editorial coverage somewhere touting some esports event that has had more viewers than like the biggest sporting event in the United States. Right. But those are cherry picked 
data points that are not valid and actually discredit gaming because somebody casual sees that and, and thinks gaming is as big as American football. Uh, it's, that's that. I mean, there's a lot of ways to unpack that, but on a very basic broad level, it's not quite there yet, but it's certainly rising quickly enough that it should be raising eyebrows. And so I think as gaming grows, um, it has to be careful uh, that it does so ethically um, and organically um, so that it doesn't kind of turn into like a bubble. Like, you know, we've seen things in the past that have kind of looked like they were on the up and up and then at some point just plateaued and then just kind of are there now. So I think gaming has to be careful of that. One last one. Yeah. With the NCAA and the, uh, the rule changes to name image likeness, uh, esport is becoming a huge component or I should say gaming of a student's life. Yeah. How do you see that the governing bodies uh, taking that challenge on and actually having these leagues thrive and prosper and these gamers actually having the opportunity to monetize because some of these young kids, they got profiles from here to Mars. They're yeah. popular and, and, there's, and there's money to be made. Yeah, I, I think that's um, it, it's a really good question, and 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 you've nailed the you've nailed why why um, I think this is so hairy, like or or the potential of that world is so hairy because for the most part, your most prominent gamers and esports competitors are maybe college aged around there. The average probably falls just underneath. So let's just say we fast forward to a hypothetical world where the NCAA wants to embrace this. Um, that throws quite a wrench into amateurism rules. Uh, how does somebody who streams on the side work? You know, there's really no equivalent to like, like, like like an SEC quarterback isn't getting paid to or isn't getting compensated for people watching him throw throw bombs in practice like that that's not a thing but in gaming that is and usually the topic of that is is someone that's quite young and so I think it's it's a big wrench but clearly it's gonna happen because it already is in a lot of ways so if you kind of look at collegiate esports um, the two major players in the space right now uh, most of their most of their network or the schools in their network are not NCAA schools, nor are they Div 1 schools. And there's probably a reason to that. And it's not just because of the NCAA as, as, as somebody that you need to work with, but also just because I think a lot of the smaller schools around the country um, just need that sort of element of student life a little bit more. So like, I think I, uh, examples of this would be like Harrisburg University in Pennsylvania, or, um, but yet again, there's also large schools getting behind this. Uh, the UC system, it has one of the most vibrant esports communities period in the world i think um the competition is awesome i mean it's not top level but the people love it and and so who's to say that's wrong but as it develops i mean it, it's going to catch the attention of more organizations and people with commercial interests and i think that needs to really be managed i think it will happen kind of in a lot of ways where um you're seeing legislation like the new image na new name image and likeness legislation force the ncaa's hand i mean you see not that i'm saying not that i'm saying this is a bad or good thing but you know you're you're seeing people talk about whether that means the power five conferences would ever want to be more autonomous than the ncaa i mean that's crazy that's that's i mean not that not crazy in the sense that it, i think it'll never happen but it's just 
accuse these that is just a massive 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 speaking point and i think esports as it grows will be is very cognizant of that but as long as the interest is there which it is it will happen there are esports clubs teams forming up all across the country and so with that level of groundswell it's going to it's just a matter of what form it takes there's definitely a lot of changes on Noima uh, right. and a lot of hand twisting. Um, Ron, you've been successful at working at two very large global organizations. What's three tips you can give somebody to, to, to try and climb the, climb the ranks like, like you, basically? Yeah. Um, Young person has finished college. Yeah. I would say um, a couple of, I, I don't know if it's three, but a couple of things. I would say... Um, never always never be afraid to, to to put yourself out there to 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 test your own acumen as a student the student card is super powerful i guess is what i'm trying to say whether it's recent graduate or current student i can't tell you how much easier it was to open up a conversation with somebody on linkedin by saying hey i'm a curious student just being able to open up with that uh, is is a game changer and most students discredit themselves too much when it comes to ah uh, well you know like a, a real life company would never want my brain that's not true, to be quite honest. I can't tell you how many times I met uh, somebody in, in, in the alumni network or, or somebody just through somebody else and, and, and just freely said, hey, listen, you sound like you have a lot of stuff on your plate. And it's not, a lot of it sounds really interesting. And to be honest, X, Y, and Z uh, are things that I'm quite interested in. If you ever have any need or desire to maybe let a, a student take a crack at some of this, I'm more than happy to. I never thought that would work. I batted about 500 doing that when I was in school. And so a lot of the experiences that you saw that I have in school are as uh, a direct result of me doing that. Um, the second thing I would say, and, and this again was not something I had planned out, but um, figure out how, understand what you suck at and get a little better at it. And I'm not saying that, I'm not, I'm not advocating that everyone becomes a jack of all trades because honestly, that's actually not that useful. But what I am advocating is that you have to be a master of something, but not so crappy at a bunch of other things that it actually just isolates you in one way. And so a really good example of that, I think is, you know, you got your classic left brain, right brain dichotomy, right? Some people are good at creative. Some people are good at quant. It's a little cliche, but in some ways it's true. Um, Let's just say, for example, if you're a great copywriter, Go out and take, if you're like in your last, I always, I, I mentor a couple of students. I always tell them this when they're thinking about how, putting together their class schedule in senior year. Don't take throwaway classes. If you're a good copywriter, you're a marketer, you're creative and you would call yourself creative, go take a class in basic statistics and go take a class in, or take a class in corporate finance. Um, you're going to hate it. But if you were, end up working in marketing, if you end up working in sponsorship and you need to understand how a business functions, you're going to be so happy you did that. Yeah. Conversely, if you're a business guy um, who always thinks in return, who always only thinks about ROI on everything, go take a class in journalism and understand how they tell a story free of how you monetize something, free of what the return on it is, and just understand how a good story is told. Because I think um, a, a really big gap that I see as I become, as I sort of aspire to be a better business leader is communication you know people don't really know how to fully put themselves in the shoes of, of, of who they're trying to resonate with and just being able to understand that functionally by doing that I think is really helpful and I think the last thing that I would suggest and this one is oddly specific and probably maybe anecdotal but I kind of fell into knowing how to design 
when I was gaming, gamers are super narcissistic, by the way. I spent a lot of time making banners, sizzle reels of my, me and my teammates, super narcissistic pursuit. Um, but then that spun into me making t-shirts for my fraternity when I was in college. And through that, I learned how to design. And then I started working with mom and pop businesses around the community to help them out. I thought it was just the way to make an extra side buck. I still use those skills today to make really, this is really superficial, but really pretty decks, really pretty ways of presenting complicated information that make it digestible. And that has touch points to communication as well. And so I think just understanding how to communicate, present things, and design is a good way to do that can help you a lot more than you think. Because as we become an increasingly complex world, being able to understand how to disseminate complex data, get your message across, I think is a skill that's overlooked. Wow, very wise words, Mr. Ron Lee. Um, you've been amazing, sir. You've uh, you've you've given us a ton of insight and, and information. Unfortunately, we have to wrap things up. Uh, firstly, I'd like to thank you very very much for joining me on the show and taking the time out to give back to these young people listening. And uh, once again, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. It was a pleasure, my man. Thank you very much. I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?